Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations give him service. For he delivers the needy, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. Precious is their blood in his sight. This is the word of the Lord. The last two Sundays, we've sung 16 hymns and carols that you voted your favorites for Christmas. If you recall, before each of those, I gave a very brief introduction telling you the composer or the poet, if that was known, and how far back we could trace that hymn or carol. The two oldest ones came from the early 1700s with Sir Isaac Watt and uh, uh, Charles Wesley. And the other 14 all came from the 1800s. I have just read to you from a hymn that is at least 2,600 years old and perhaps 3,000 years old. Scholars are agreed this hymn was for the coronation of a king. The two kings who ruled over the greatest amount of land, Jewish kings David and Solomon. Before King David lived in the year 1000, before the Common Era, the tribes were still divided. Ten in the north, two in the south. People in the Middle East have long memory. Sunnis and Shiites are still fighting each other for the last 1400 years over who should have succeeded Muhammad the Prophet. That's the argument. The Jews were still remembering favorite sons of Jacob 700 years after Jacob. Two sons born to favored wife, Joseph and Benjamin. Ten sons born to not favored wife and two young slave girls. Ten of them against two. David was strong enough to pull them all together and to be king of all. Solomon was equally able to keep his reign over all 12 tribes. Rehoboam, not nearly so capable as David or Solomon, and they divided again 10-2. This hymn is about a coronation, the kind of king they hope a new king will be. The reason we don't know exactly how old this hymn is, that it might have been written in the time of David or Solomon, but the Davidic kings did continue for another 400 years. Now in the north, the kings were absolutely destroyed in the year 722 before the Common Era. The Assyrians swept southward and so devastated the ten northern tribes, relocated them, sent Assyrians in to live on their farms, that they ceased to be Jewish people. They are lost to history. In the south, the two southern tribes called Judah, the kings continued until 586 when the dreaded Babylonians came, laid siege to the city, and when the people were running out of food and water, they finally had to surrender. All members of the royal family were brought into one place 
and all ceremoniously beheaded in front of the king. Then his eyes were gouged out so that everyone knew no more Davidic kings. And then force marched him and the best and brightest away to Babylon. So this hymn was obviously written before 586 and sometime around 1,000 or later. So 2,600 to 3,000 years old. After all Davidic kings were gone, those who read this hymn, who sang this hymn in Babylon, started imagining what would be versed so beautifully by the second writer in the scroll of Isaiah and by Ezekiel, that one day God Almighty would be king of his people. One day God Almighty would be shepherd of his sheep. And when Matthew is trying to tell us the story of Jesus' birth, this psalm came to mind. Oh, yes, of course. Our God has finally come to be the shepherd, to be the king, to do all these wonderful things we hoped David and Solomon and Rehoboam and all the descendants would do that they never did perfectly well, God has come to do for us. Let's take a look. The first thing we note here is that they were singing a prayer, hoping the king would live a long and wonderful life. But the kings are gone by the time Matthew writes. The Davidic kings. Herod was not a Davidic king. His sons were not Davidic kings. They were Edomaeans, which means from the tribe of uh, the Edomite tribe, not Jews, not descendants of David by any means. The Davidic kings have not reigned since 586. So now the words about long life become surely true of God. Dr. Tankersley has been recuperating from surgery, as you know. He will be back at work tomorrow. I saw him in the hallway after the first service. You may see him out there as well. But he's really coming back to work tomorrow morning. And while Dr. Tankersley has been recuperating, the funerals have fallen to Dr. Kroll and me. I've done eight myself. The last one I had was in Sepulpa. Marion Vetito. Her husband, Chet, who preceded her in death five years ago, had been members of our church a long time, and she wanted me to do her funeral. I agreed to do that. It was Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock, cold wind blowing in the cemetery at Sepulpa. But I could read to them from the holy book, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God. Everlasting. The very first chapter of our book says, In the beginning God. And the last book, Revelation, says, I am Alpha and Omega. I am the first letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am A to Z. I was there at the beginning. I will be at the end. You can come to me. And the message of Epiphany is that we Gentiles have been invited to come to know Israel's God. Bob Hostetler is a preacher up in Ohio, and he has written that he and his wife wanted to be grandparents for a long time, and finally they are. They have three grandchildren, preschool age. Now he said it's wonderful when they come and visit, and it's wonderful when they go home again. One Saturday afternoon during Advent, he said, 
three of them under, under school age were at our house on a Saturday afternoon because their parents wanted to go have a visit with Santa Claus. So my wife Robin and I were looking after these three little ones and we read storybooks and we played little games they could play. And finally my wife said, why don't we get out the crash? And the four-year-old asked, a what? And she said, you know, the stable where Jesus was born. And so she got out the box and they found the table where this was arranged every year. And they started lifting out the characters. Who knows what this woman's name is? Mary. Oh, yeah, good. This man? Joseph. This baby's name? Jesus. Oh, good. And what is this we have? A sheep. Yeah, and what is this we have here? cow. Yeah, that's right. And what would this be? Shepherd. That's right. And what would this be? Wise man. Oh, good. Good, good. Well, he said we got all that done and then more games and more story reading and finally the parents came and they were gone. That night, after it had time to reflect on the sermon a little more, I started to the bathroom to brush my teeth and as I walked past the crash, I could tell little hands had been back. I looked very carefully, and added to the scene was a horse. Added to the scene was a reindeer. Added to the scene was a pig. And I thought, oh no. No self-respecting Jewish innkeeper in Bethlehem would have had a pig in the stable. But then Bob writes, then I thought how appropriate that even though this child didn't have a clue what he or she was doing, the Gentiles had come to the party. The Gentiles had crashed the party. This Sunday of the Epiphany is about the first Gentiles who were invited to come and get a look at Israel's God. Number two, featured in this hymn is the word justice, justice, justice. What a great word. And in Hebrew, though it's a different word, of course, it means the same as our English word. We just want a king who will be fair, who will treat everybody fairly. Not only the rich, and the strong, but the poor and the weak. We want what's fair for everybody. And Ezekiel and Deutero or Second Isaiah said, well, none of the kings got that just right. God Almighty may have to do that himself. Thursday, Friday of this week, I was hosting a gathering of some of the pastors of our biggest Methodist churches in the country. I've been their host the last eight years for this January meeting. The group was founded 40 years ago. I was the youngest man in the room 40 years ago. I missed once in 40 years. I had made 39 of them. But I've hosted the last eight years right here in Tulsa. It was fun group for me to get to sit with these guys. We talk about whatever we think is important. We write an agenda on the board. How do you deal with a staff member you want to kill half the time? You know, how, how do you deal with a district superintendent who's just completely ineffective? How do you deal with a bishop who just doesn't pay any attention? You know, that sort of thing. 
But then they also talk about what's the best idea you think you had this year? What was the best book you read this year? What was the best sermon you thought you preached this year? What was the best story you told your congregation this year? And finally, Friday morning, someone got around to asking, how many of you preached last Sunday? That would have been the Sunday after Christmas. Two of us. Two of us. Because all the rest had kicked the Christmas tree out the door. Christmas was over. They had said everything they wanted to say about Christmas, and they had taken a week off. But you see, it wasn't over. It wasn't over. Not for Matthew, and not for you and me. Tradition holds it took 12 days for the Magi to get there. Now, we don't know from whence they came. History shows us that the greatest concentration of these folks who studied the heavens, ancient Persia, that'd be modern-day Iran. Maybe Babylon, modern-day Iraq. Saudi Arabia, definitely from the east. Can you imagine today the wisest and smartest from Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia coming to Bethlehem to offer gifts to Judah, to offer gifts to Israel's God? That's what Epiphany is about, is those who have not known Israel's God are invited to come and have a really good look. Dr. John Buchanan has written recently in Christian Century Magazine, the older I get, the longer I live, the more convinced I am that Jesus was all about inclusivity. He was not for drawing circles that put some out and others in. He was all about saying, God who created the heavens and the earth wants all of his children inside. All his children inside. Number three, third key word here is righteousness. In Hebrew, it's the word sedek. In Greek, it's the word dikaiosune. It means right standing. It means doing what helps someone else. The Jews talk a lot about righteous Gentiles who helped them during the Holocaust. They have rows of beautiful trees at Yad Vashem Memorial Museum in Jerusalem. They have worked hard to find the names of Gentiles who did the right thing by Jews, who risked their own lives to shelter a Jew, to save a Jew's life during that horrible, horrible time. Righteousness is such a good word. It has to do with what the Greek word agape does. It's putting yourself out for the well-being of another, helping that person stand right with you as your brother, your sister. It's a very important word, this word that has to do with righteousness. Roger Thoreau is a journalist in Chicago, and he has written that he was sent on assignment to Kenya it turned out that he was sent to a small village. He was meeting families, very poor families in this little village. He was trying to show uh, to people in Chicago 
why there are so many hungry people in the world, he had Christmas Day lunch at one of these houses, a small house in a village, a mother and father, five children, and they had for Christmas Day lunch one little bowl of boiled bananas. Each one got a few bites. It's all they had. It was now the dry season. He discovered these people were farmers. They controlled two acres there, and they planted every year just by scattering the seeds on the ground, uh, sort of haphazardly tried to tend. What he discovered was that their seeds they planted were inferior. They weren't nearly the quality seeds that our best seed companies produce in this country. The fertilizer they had was in no way to be compared with what our finest chemical companies can produce here in America. And their methods of farming far inferior to what's been learned in the Western world. So the people farm, but once the harvest is made, the dry season sets in and they soon run out of food. They simply run out and there's not enough. So he heard about an organization called the One Acre Fund, and he wanted to know more about it. So he asked permission to go back to Kenya and see what these people were trying to do. And this organization from the United States went into this little village in Kenya, were having a hard time communicating exactly what they wanted to do. So they recruited the preachers, and they got the preachers from the whole surrounding area to talk to their church members, and the preachers came up with this text for what they were trying to do and you shall be delivered out of Egypt into the land of milk and honey. How would you like to move from the land of misery to the land of milk and honey? Let us show you what we have. We have seeds, wonderful seeds. We have a thimble full of wonderful fertilizer for every seed. And we have a little string here with knot tied in it so that you know exactly how close how far to plant one seed from the other. You plant one seed where this knot is and another seed here with one little thimble of fertilizer. If you do one acre the way we tell you and you tend it carefully until the harvest, you're going to move into the land of milk and honey. Roger Thoreau said he went back the next Christmas to visit the same family. There were five dishes on the table all filled with food. And what he discovered was that they not only had produced enough for this family of seven, but for five more families as well on one acre. And with the money they got from the other five families, they could send their kids to school. Because there was no public education in that village, you had to have tuition money. So they could feed their family and they could educate their kids. One acre, one acre. Righteousness is about realizing that all these children are God's children and that there should be no want and ignorance in the world as we can reach out as effectively as possible to drive them from the planet. Ignorance and want. Number four. Notice in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, how they emphasize God's great compassion for those who do not have enough. Here in this great hymn, he delivers the needy, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the life of the needy. Precious is their blood in his sight, as opposed to those who spill the blood of the needy. 
Grace Grindahl is a professor in the Lutheran Seminary, St. Paul, Minnesota. She's right at retirement age. Grace writes that she grew up on the frozen tundra of North Dakota, the daughter of a Lutheran preacher. She said, I remember when I was a little girl how cold the winters were. In fact, she said, I've gone back and researched to see if they were really as cold as I remember them being. She said a few years ago, while I was a professor, I had a little bit more money and some sabbatical time, and I went to Germany. Most Lutherans want to go to Germany. They want to go to Wittenberg and see where Martin Luther lived. They want to go and see the door of the palace, the chapel at the palace where Martin Luther tacked the 95 theses for debate. But there are other great places in Germany where Lutherans have been very strong. And Grace made her way to Halle, H-A-L-L-E, went to Halle, Germany, and there in the biggest Lutheran church in town, she saw a painting that she said, I'll never forget. It was the Magi arriving at the stable. Oh, wow. The beautiful clothes they were wearing, the people attending their camels for them. But people of the East, and remember Israel is not in Europe, it's in Asia. People of the East know very well what the three gifts mean. Gold was a gift fit for a king. Frankincense, beautiful aroma for a god. Every Christmas Eve for years, when we get through with the midnight service here, by the time Gail and I get home and are brushing our teeth, I turn on the Pope, who's saying Mass from Vatican City. Gail and I have been to St. Peter's several times. We've stood and admired this beautiful altar of Bernini and to see the Pope there saying Mass. But there comes a point where they hand him these little pots that are just smoke is going everywhere. This beautiful, wonderful aroma that's rising up to God. And myrrh, well, your hymn writer knew what myrrh meant. If you were singing with us, we three kings of Orient are, and you got down to that verse about myrrh, it talked about the gathering gloom because myrrh was used for embalming. Grace writes, of course, of course, the Magi with their gifts, as they're depicted in Matthew's writing, are for king of kings, for the God of all creation, who will allow his son to be crucified. Let him really and truly die. Let him be buried in a cave with a great stone rolled over the face only then to raise him from the dead and announce to all creation, I have the last word. Oh, growing up in North Dakota, Grace said, the year I was 10 years old, I found was the coldest on record for our little town in North Dakota. One day, 47 degrees below zero. Next day, 45 degrees below zero. Next day, 42 degrees below zero. And our little Lutheran church was filled day after day. People were getting out in that kind of cold to come to the church because in 1953, when we were fighting the Cold War with the Russians, we had a missionary come to our church 
whom we had sent to Japan. We had a missionary come to our church from the island of Taiwan who had been forced out of China by the communists but was still preaching and teaching in Taiwan. And they told us what they were doing. This little handful of committed Christians, she said, knew about Epiphany. We knew that God had invited us Gentiles to come and get a good look at Israel's God. And we were so convinced that surely if we could tell every person on the planet that the God who created the heavens and the earth had so loved them that he had sent his son Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, surely they would believe. 